Eureka by John Thomas, Volume 1, Chapter 1, Section 1, Part 3, The New Testament Use of the Word Apocalypse. The word apocalypsis is used 18 times in the New Testament. The first place where it occurs is that we have just been considering. The last is in Revelation 1 verse 1, as the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which the deity committed to him to show to his servants things which must come to pass speedily. Here the apocalypse is an exhibition of things to be transacted, subsequently to the communication of it. And when we look into it, we find its signs, scenes, and so forth, all tending to, or terminating in, the personal manifestation of Jesus Christ before the nations, the overthrow of their dominions, and the victory of his brethren, the saints, over the grave, and over the Satanism of Christendom, in church and state, in whatever form they may be found. Hence, the Apocalypse exhibits what the testimonies already adduced predict without a symbol, God has determined shall come to pass in the anointed Jesus shining as a light for an apocalypse of nations. The Apostle Paul uses the noun apocalypsis 13 times in his writings, and the verb apocalypto also 13. In Romans 2 verse 5, he uses it in relation to a manifestation of judgment, in a day of wrath and apocalypse of God's righteous judgment. This is a day yet future, because in it, Paul says, the glory, honour, incorruptibility and life of the aeon will be rendered to the righteous, and indignation and wrath to those who obey not the truth. It is a day of wrath and apocalypse. Hence, whatever constitutes the apocalypse is to be looked for in a time of trouble, as Daniel terms it, or a day of affliction, in the words of Jeremiah. They may cry, peace and safety, but there will be neither in the day of apocalypse, but rather sudden destruction as travail upon a woman with child. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 3 in Romans 8 verse 19, he uses the noun in reference to the disclosure of the sons of God to the view of the nations, from which they are at present concealed. The sons of God are to be apocalypsed, and glory is to be apocalypsed in them, as well as Jesus, their elder brother. I reckon, says Paul, that the sufferings of the present time are not comparable with the future glory to be apocalypsed in us. For the earnest hope of the creature is looking for the apocalypse of the sons of God. In the English version, this is rendered by the manifestation of the sons of God. The meaning is this. Mankind are divided by scripture into two classes, the serpent and his seed and the woman and her seed, 
Genesis 3 verse 15. As early as the times before the flood, the former were styled simply men, the latter the sons of God. Genesis 6 verse 12. By the flood, men were swept from the earth which they had filled with violence, and their apostasy was extinguished with them. That is, the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted God's way upon the earth. Genesis 6 verses 11 and 12. They had set up a corrupted way of worshipping God, which constituted an apostasy, or departure from the original way, instituted in Eden. This did not suit their evil nature, therefore they altered it to please, and under its inspiration filled the habitable with their abominations. Only one small family protested against this apostasy, a family of eight persons, all that were left on earth of the sons of God among the living. These were saved by the earth's baptism, while the apostasy, in all its ecclesiastical, civil and social relations, was torn up by the roots and swept away. Sons of God is a title conferred upon certain descendants of Adam, which places them in the same class of intelligences as the angels. These are also styled sons of God and stars of the dawn or morning stars. Job 28 verse 7 We do not mean to say that the sons of God, called in scripture angels or messengers and gods, are now mortal and corruptible and weak of mind and body as we are. They have passed through this state and now occupy a state beyond it, in which they are incorruptible, immortal, glorious, powerful, wise, and of spirit corporeality. In their former state, they were sons of God, subject to evil as we. In their present, they are sons, subject only to good. Men are invited to the same destiny. They are invited now to enter Yahweh's family, and to become his sons and daughters with the promise of hereafter being promoted to a physical equality with the angels. Thus it is written in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 17, Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith Yahweh, and touch not the unclean, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith Yahweh El Shaddai. But he not only gives men invitation to become his children, but he gives them power also. Thus the Yahweh spirit came to his own land, Tar-Idiah, but his own people, Hoi-Idioi, the Jews, received him not. Nevertheless, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become children of God to them believing into his name, who were born not of bloods, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 1 verses 11 to 13. 
Here, the fleshly principle is repudiated. The flesh profits nothing. No man is a son of God because he is descended from Adam, son of God. Luke 3, verse 38. But Adam's sons become sons of God by adoption through his name. They must believe the promises covenanted, believe in Jesus as the Yahweh Spirit manifested in flesh, made a sin offering, justified in spirit for the justification of believers, and be immersed into the name, that they may be the subjects of the repentance and the remission of sins which are offered in that name, and communicable only to such in putting on the name according to divine prescription. The power of becoming a son of God consists in obeying the form of teaching apostolically delivered. In putting on Christ, the Son of God by eminence, a man becomes a son of God. Addressing the sons of God in Galatia, Paul says, In Jesus anointed, ye are all sons of God through the faith. For as many of you as were immersed into the anointed have put on the anointed. And if ye be the anointeds, then ye are the seed of Abraham, and heirs according to the promise. Chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. When a son of Adam is thus adopted into Abraham's family, he is a son of Abraham because he is in Jesus who was his descendant according to the flesh. He is in God the Father, and in the Son, by constitution, and Christ dwells in him by faith that works by love, and purifies the heart. Ephesians 3 verse 17, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 1. This step being assured, what follows is of course. If children says Paul, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. This contemporary glorification of Jesus and his brethren of the Abrahamic family is the subject matter of their apocalypse, and points to their development as sons of God. This occurs in the resurrection, an aeon period in which the sons of God obtain their new nature or materiality. Mentally, that is, as to mind, disposition and character, or as we might say, spirituality, and constitutionally, they are sons of God. But as to the flesh, they are on this side of the resurrection, still the children of Adam. They are flesh and blood, but they do not walk after or according to its impulses. Living a life of self-denial, being led by the Spirit, in being led by the truth understood, believed, and affectionately obeyed, as it is written, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. But to be sons of God in the full import of the title 
they must put off the old Adam in respect to body as well as to conduct and intelligence. They must become sons of God bodily as well as spiritually. They are waiting for this, namely for the adoption, the redemption of their body. Jesus referred to this in his argument with the Sadducees, saying, They who shall be accounted worthy to obtain that aeon, and the resurrection which is from among the dead, cannot die any more, for they are equal to angels, and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Luke 20 verses 35 and 36. Now hear what John says upon this subject in 1st epistle 3 verses 1 and 2. Behold, says he, what great love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be styled sons of God. Because the world does not know him, therefore it does not know us. Beloved, we are now sons of God, though it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Nevertheless, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every one having this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. From this testimony, then, it is clear that the sons of God are not yet apocalypsed or manifested. Therefore, the world does not know them, though if it have an opinion in the matter, and were invited to point them out, it would certainly judge that if God had any sons among men, they were those whom it recognises as the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, and the successors of the apostles, together with the pious of their flocks. By the world, we mean what is called, or what rather is self-styled, the religious world, made up of all members and supporters of the ecclesiasticism of what they call Christendom. But this world knows not the Father. How, therefore, can it know the sons? Neither can it know them before their apocalypse. For the testimonies by which they are defined, they will not trouble themselves to understand. No man is led by the Spirit of God who is not led by an intelligent belief of the truth. This truth the world and its soul merchants do not know. They are therefore not led by it, and are consequently, according to Paul, not the sons of God. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. By this rule, it is easy to perceive that the world's judgment is wrong. They whom the world hears are not of God. He never sent them, nor were they ever adopted into his Abrahamic family. If they were God's sons, the world would not listen to them, but would hate and persecute them. They profess to admit that the apostles were of God, but they pay no regard to what they teach. Their whole ministry is spent in falsifying and destroying their doctrine. Be mindful, says Peter, of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, 
and of the commandments of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Saviour. 2 Peter 3 verse 2 But Peter may as well speak to a post as to the ecclesiastics of the world. They only care for him and his words so far as they can turn them into cash or make them available for the preservation of vested interests. They have long ceased to hear both prophets and apostles, as any one may know, who will take the trouble to compare their traditions and practices with the commandments and testimonies of God. He that knoweth God heareth us, says John. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of the truth and the spirit of the delusion.